This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. James chapter 3 tonight. Uh, we're really only going to look at uh, this passage uh, again is so rich uh, because it talks about almost the entire uh, chapter 3 uh, talks about the tongue, uh, the words we use, the things that we say, how it affects our body, how it affects other people, uh, and things like that. There's just so much good stuff here. Books have literally been written on just this one chapter here. That's how, how big of a passage it is. But tonight we're only going to take a look at one verse here. Now, if you've been at Hui Kala for any length of time, you'll know that the number of verses that we cover has no correlation whatsoever to do with what? The length of the message, right? So just because it's one verse, don't think to yourself, oh, it's going to be short tonight. That, that's never the case, okay? Uh, so uh, the only time that I promise you a short teaching service, uh, teaching and preaching time, the only time... Christmas Eve, okay? I'm, I'm telling you, we'll be in and out of here in an hour on Christmas Eve. Uh, but uh, other than that, I, I make no promises. Uh, some of you didn't know this, but up until uh, probably six months ago, we never even had a clock in the back of the auditorium. And my thought process was like this. You know in casinos, they don't have windows or clocks to kind of keep you in there and you forget about what time it is? It was kind of the idea here. Uh, but um, that was supposed to be a joke. I'm just going to get to the Bible, okay? Uh, James chapter 3, uh, verse number 1. Um, uh, I'm, I'm going to read this passage. I'm going to explain it to you really well, and then we'll uh, jump into the message. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. Uh, we'll go ahead and read verses uh, 2 and 3. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. Uh, behold, we put uh, bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. But also ships, which though they be great, are driven with fierce winds, yet they are turned about with a very small helm, whatsoever the governor listeth. Even so, the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Now again, we're just going to take a look at verse number one here, uh, where it says, My brethren... Be not many masters, knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. It's really important that we understand what James is saying here, what James is not saying. First of all, the word masters that he uses here is also used elsewhere in Scripture as the word for rabbi or teacher. And so the idea of being a master here means one who teaches the Bible, one who teaches the Word, one who guides spiritually. And he says, brethren, it's not good that we have many Bible teachers, and Paul kind of echoes that in 1 Corinthians when he says, we don't need everybody coming in with a new word and something to share and a word of prophecy and things like that. And so he says, we don't, don't need to have everyone being a Bible teacher because, he says, these Bible teachers will be held to a greater, stricter judgment. That word condemnation does not mean whether or not they go to heaven or hell. Some, many times in Scripture, condemnation means one who will spend eternity separated from Christ. That's not what condemnation means here. It basically means you'll be held to a higher standard before God, a higher judgment, basically because of handling the scripture, which is a very, very holy thing to do. You're going to be held to a higher level of accountability is what he's saying there. And so tonight, I'm titled tonight's message, Teach the Word with Reverence. And again, just as a reminder, the Hui Kala app has a copy of the notes for tonight's message. If you want to follow along that way, or if you just want to jot down 
some notes as we cruise through tonight. Now, James is saying, hey, we don't need a lot of Bible teachers because uh, you need to make sure that you know that you're going to be held to a higher standard. But what James is not saying is, is he's not saying that, that we as Christians should not be ready to share our faith. You see, Christians should be trained and prepared to share their faith. You need to know how to tell somebody about Jesus. You need to know the gospel forwards and backwards. You need to know common objections that people would have to the gospel and how to answer those from Scripture. You should know that. Every Christian should know that. Uh, we're required to, to go, win, baptize, teach, and tell everybody in the entire planet what Jesus Christ has done for them. And you need to know how to do that, whether you've been saved for two weeks, two decades, or a hundred years. You need to know your faith. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and in fear. Peter says that if somebody says to you, hey, how do you have so much hope? You better have an answer. And so you and I should be prepared at all times to give an answer for our faith. I should be able to tell somebody, uh, I love Jesus. Uh, here's why I love Jesus. Here's five reasons why I love Jesus. Here's what God has done for me. Here's a change that I've seen in my life as I started following Jesus. I was talking to somebody today after the uh, morning service, and I was telling them, uh, my wife and I, when we got married, weren't walking with Jesus, but we found out really quickly we didn't have the answer to everything that life was throwing at us. And we needed something bigger than us to guide us. And we made a decision 22 years ago, we will walk with Jesus every day for the rest of our lives. And I said, that was a game changer for me. My life has never been the same since then. I accepted Christ as Savior when I was nine. I was born again when I was nine years old, but I never started walking with Jesus until I was in my early 20s. And that changed everything. And I began to learn how to share my faith with other people. And so again, that's one of the reasons why we as the church want to help you with that. Uh, if you go through our discipleship program, uh, there's a whole lesson on, uh, in discipleship on how to share your faith with someone else. Uh, twice a year, uh, we do an evangelism seminar on Saturdays called Sharing Jesus, where we teach you. We talk for eight hours on resources that you can use, questions that you can ask, uh, tools that will help you to be better at sharing your faith and to give you the confidence that you need to be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. That's not a pastoral duty. That's a regular, old, average Christian responsibility. So what James is saying here is not that uh, we're going to leave the evangelism up to the professionals. He's saying when it comes to handling the word and teaching the Bible, you need to make sure that you know your stuff. Because when it comes to evangelism, evangelism is not optional. It's a matter of obedience or disobedience. I love you enough to tell you the truth here tonight. I'm telling you this. If you are unwilling to share your faith with someone, you're living in disobedience to the Bible and the Great Commission. It's hard to hear. Now, again, you might have excuses because I had every single excuse you can imagine. I would say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> Try finding the gift of evangelism in the Bible. Just not there. Jesus didn't say, go in, baptize, and teach for all those people who have a certain gift set or talents. I use the excuse, I'm an introvert. I use the excuse, I don't know big Bible questions that people ask me. 
I don't know if I'll have all the answers. I'm not very convincing. I'm unsure of myself. I'm just not good at it. People will think that I'm weird. I don't want to be labeled as the weirdo. Uh, If I tell people that I'm a Christian, then they're going to hold me to a higher standard of accountability because they're going to be watching my life knowing that I'm a Christian. Look, if you've got an excuse for not sharing your faith, I promise you I've already used it, okay? That, That hole has already been punched on my punch card of excuses why I shouldn't share my faith. Guarantee you. But it comes down to all those are excuses. And we make it really easy here. The, our invitation cards that we have, uh, we just got some, some new ones in this past week. If you haven't gotten those yet, um, get some of those and pass those out for, for our Christmas services. On the back, always 100% of the time, is the gospel. If you just hand that to somebody and say, there's something on the back that you should read, bam, you've done your job. You've sown a seed. And I'm telling you this, at first, I was just a chicken. I would leave them in public places. I'd go to the bathroom, I'd leave them in the bathroom, I'd go to the ATM, leave it at the ATM. Those little things that they have flipping up at the, the gas station where they have like the uh, credit card uh, applications, I'd always stick one in there. Again, I, I didn't want to actually talk to anybody. That was terrifying. But I was just will- I was willing to go out and sow seed, and that's a great place to start. It's a terrible place to finish. We've had people in the last 90 days come to our church because they found a gospel track in a bathroom because they received it uh, when someone got a meal from them. Uh, we went to... Um, uh, to a restaurant over by Kahala Mall one time. And uh, the, the waitress brought the bill, and uh, I put my, my debit card in there. She went and ran on my debit card and brought it back in the little uh, folio thing. And there was a pen inside, and I opened it up, and it was a Hui Kala pen. And I was just like, somebody's got some next-level evangelism going on here. I love this. Love it. And so, uh, and, and so I asked her, I said, hey, where did you get this pen? She was like, oh, people leave pens all the time. And she goes, but that pen, I remember that. Somebody came in here and, uh, and left that pen for me and also gave me an invitation to that church. I go, I go to that church. And she goes, well, that'll be the second time I've been invited to the church. Hey, maybe somebody's trying to tell you something. I don't know, just a thought. One of the, the men in our church is an attorney. And he asked, he said, Pastor, can I get about 25 pens? And le- I'm gonna leave them in the conference room at work because attorneys are always signing paperwork and always looking for a pen for something to sign with. He said, I'd love to have some hui kala pens just kind of like laying around. I love that. Just again, what can I do to advance the kingdom? What can I do to advance the gospel? But it's not a matter of like, hey, I'm not good at it, so I'm off the hook. Hey, I get nervous, so I'm off the hook. Hey, I don't do it very well, so I'm off the hook. Hey, I don't know what to say, so I'm off the hook. It's a matter of every single Christian is required to share their faith. And look, if every Christian would be faithful in sowing the seed, we could get the gospel worldwide in record time. But the majority of Christians aren't really all that interested in the Great Commission. So that's why we have to make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, while we should be eager to share our faith, we should be well-trained before we teach or preach on God's behalf. That's what James is really saying here. Hey, you want to share your faith? Hey, you want to tell somebody about Jesus? That's great. Tell them as much as you know. One of the greatest uh, evangelism outreaches that we see in Scripture is in John chapter 4. Jesus is sitting with a woman at the well. And she goes back and tells everybody in town, hey, look, uh, this guy out here at the well told me everything I've ever done in my entire life. I think I've found the Christ. Come and see. And the Bible says that an entire city came And that many believed on Jesus for who he was, but many believed on Jesus because of her word. Isn't that fascinating? What did she say? Hey guys, I think I found the Christ. 
And that's all that was necessary. She didn't know any Bible verses. The Romans road hadn't been written yet. She just said, hey, here's what happened to me. And it was enough. And so while everybody should be eager and ready to share your faith as much as you can to the best of your ability, those who speak on behalf of God need to make sure that they have the appropriate training. And just because somebody's a good public speaker does not make them a good Bible teacher. And here's the, the converse is true as well. Just because somebody's a good Bible teacher doesn't make them a good public speaker. But we, for all of our ministries here at Huikala, we don't just throw somebody in a spot because we have an opening. Even our two and three-year-old classes that we have, they're teaching them Bible lessons. Even our nursery workers are teaching kids under the age of two Bible songs. Look, we want to make sure that these kids get a quality Bible education from our ministry. We're not looking to just keep kids alive for an hour. Somebody had... Um, uh, gone to another church across town and, they'd, and they, they'd come to Huikala and asked them, hey, what made you leave X church and come to, to Huikala? And they said, really, the, the children's ministry is what did it for us. And I was just like, yeah, we got a, a great children's ministry. I believe, I believe our children's ministry is one of the best in any of the churches I've ever been in my life. Our, our children's ministry is top notch, really good. And, but I wasn't there to brag and I said, what, did, what was lacking at the other church? And he goes, Bible teaching? Oh, are you looking for like quality Bible teaching for a certain type of curriculum? He goes, no, I'm looking for somebody to just teach my kids the Bible. Well, that's strange. I said, what did, what did they get? He said, well, I dropped my daughter off and picked her up after church. We're on the way home. And I said, hey, what'd you get? what did you learn in class? And she said, oh, we didn't learn anything. We watched a movie. And he said, oh, what movie did you watch? And she said, Despicable Me. He was like, oh. And he, th- he said, you know what? I'm thinking to myself, they just got overwhelmed or they had too many kids or somebody called in sick and they just threw a movie on. Next week, took her to drop her off. Hey, what'd you learn in your class? We didn't learn anything. We just watched a movie. What'd you watch? Toy Story 3. What? And he goes, and I went and asked him, hey, look, is this like daycare or are you teaching our kids the Bible? And they said, we're just trying to keep the kids entertained while the parents can attend a church service. And he said, Pastor, I don't want my kids to be entertained. I want them to learn the Bible. <laughs> That's a novel concept, right? You would think you drop off your kids at a church, they would learn the Bible. That's not necessarily the case everywhere, evidently. But here's the idea. Our children's ministry workers aren't people who haven't been walking with Jesus and don't know the Bible. We make sure that they receive the appropriate training that they need and they know what they're teaching because they're not just teaching on behalf of super church per se. They're not teaching on behalf of who we call a Baptist church per se. They're not just teaching on behalf of Pastor Anthony King per se. They're speaking on behalf of God himself. That's a big deal. Our small group leaders that we have in our connect groups aren't just people who are willing to jump into a group and handle a discussion. These are people who have been either personally trained and discipled by me or by someone else that knows their stuff. And so again, all of our small group leaders have gone through some serious training to make sure that they're prepared to open God's word and speak on behalf of God. In the history of who we call a Baptist church, there have been five Sundays that I have not been in this pulpit. That means that there's less than 10 people in the entire planet that have ever stood behind this pulpit and preached the word ever. 
And some people look at that and they go, well, you're awfully controlling, Pastor. I'm not controlling. I take it very seriously that when God's Word is opened up here, some guy that got his uh, theological training from the back of a box of Frosted Flakes isn't the guy that's up here on a Sunday night just sharing a couple of thoughts that he had about today. We want somebody who's going to open God's Word and speak on behalf of God. And you don't get that from just like, hey, I was flipping through the channels the other night and I saw this thing on TV that I thought was really interesting that I thought I'd share with you. No, preach the Bible. I can't tell you how many times our family's been on family vacation and we go to a church that we find on the internet that we think lines up with our beliefs and it's just like, dude, would you just stop talking and open the Bible and tell me what the Bible says? That's what Bible teaching, Bible preaching is about. First Peter chapter 4, verse number 11 if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it to, as the ability which God gives, that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom praise be dominion forever and ever. Hey, if you're speaking, let him speak as the oracles on behalf of God himself, and let him speak of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. That's the idea behind teaching the Bible. There's a guy who had uh, come here. This is when we were probably in the first, uh, I don't know, 18 months of our church. He came up on a, a Sunday morning. I'd never met him before. He walks up and says, hey, my name's John, and it's our first time at church. Hey, John, welcome to the church. How'd you find us? I found you on the internet. Hey, I just want to let you know that uh, I was a Sunday school teacher at my last church for 10 years, and I'm also a deacon, so if I can serve in either of those capacities, you let me know. What did you say your name was? Do we know each other? For some reason, he thought that just coming in and spouting off who he thought that he was, that that was enough. Hey, look, you're going to have to make sure that you know your stuff before you ever crack a Bible and teach anybody anything in Hootie Kala. And again, I'm thankful that we have godly men and godly women that help keep things on track. We have a, a men's uh, Bible study group that meets every single Saturday morning. They're split up into four different groups, A through D. And they meet, rotate every four weeks. And so I think our, our Bravo group meets uh, next, th- this coming Saturday, 8 o'clock. We'll get together. They'll pray. Somebody will share something from the Bible. But there's always somebody there that if somebody starts saying something that's offline, is going to bring it right back to where it needs to be. Always. Because teaching the Bible is a holy, reverent thing because we're speaking on behalf of God. A Bible teacher's and ter- Bible teachers and church leaders will be held to a higher level of accountability for what they say. So Bible teachers and church leaders will be held to a higher level of accountability. So it says we shall receive the greater condemnation. There shouldn't be an apostrophe on the teachers there. I'm sorry, that's my fault. If you're a, a grammar Nazi like me, you're probably burning you up inside right now. I know, and I want you to know that I know. And so let's just move on from that, Okay. <laughs> but here's, here's the idea. Again, average Joe Christian just got saved, just started walking with Jesus, shares their faith. They don't have their theology 100% right. Good. We're going to take some time. We're going to correct you and guide you the right direction. We're going to disciple you. We're going to teach you. We're going to train you. We're going to make you profitable for the ministry and to help you to know your faith so that you can share your faith, so that you can communicate your faith. We're going to give you a pass. But one who calls themselves a Bible teacher or a Bible preacher, you don't get a pass. You're held to a higher standard of accountability. If one of our Bible teachers or Bible preachers says something that's not 
100% correct according to the Bible, they will be corrected, and if they cannot be corrected, they will be rebuked. That's how serious it is. I had a guy one time who uh, came to our church, was looking through our doctrinal statement, and wanted to join our church, and he goes, well, you know, what do you do about the areas of the doctrinal statement that our church isn't 100% right on? For example, what? Well, I mean, like, you can't really say that, like, everything about, that we believe about the Bible is 100% accurate, can you? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Well, I mean, you can't really know for sure. Hey, point me out from the Bible where, we'll, where, where we're wrong, and I'll fix it, like, right now. If we're doctrinally incorrect in an area, please tell me because I want to make it right immediately. And if I, as a pastor, have led our church astray from God's word, I want to repent publicly and make that right. Because you really feel that strongly about it? Absolutely. I said, would any person who called themselves a pastor be able to pillow their head at night knowing that they're not 100% accurate according to the Bible? I can't fathom that. Because the idea here is that as a pastor, as a Bible teacher, as a Bible preacher, I'm held to a higher level of accountability before God because leaders are either leading people closer to the truth or they're leading people farther away from the truth. And look, we live in a a society today that false teaching is just a mouse click away. And it's dangerous, just know that. Listen, back in the day, if you wanted to follow a false teacher out there somewhere, you had to subscribe to their tapes via a newsletter that you put a check or money order in the mail and they would mail you a tape in the mail and you would have to listen to it in your car. Look, all you have to do is have a flashy Instagram and say some quasi-motivational statements and yell really loud and use the name of Jesus once or twice and you're immediately a Christian celebrity preacher and teacher. Never mind the fact that you're theology doesn't hold up to a first grade level. There's a lot of really good uh, preachers and teachers per se out there that are great motivational speakers, that know how to get a crowd pumped up, that know how to say things that make you feel good, but it's completely and totally devoid of any biblical truth whatsoever. None. (laughs) I was... uh, uh, posting something on our church's social media page the other day, and I was scrolling through some of the things that were recommended that you might like. And there was this church, church, who had as their Instagram photo, it was a, a colorful background, and it had the words in white all the way across it. I am enough. And I thought to myself, praise God, Jesus is enough. Praise God. The great I am. Enough. Right? <laughs> Right? That's, of course that's what it means, right? I am enough. Right? No. You read down, what did it have? I can do all things to Christ which strengtheneth me. I am enough. I can believe in me because I am, you know, all this other stuff. I am, I am strong. I am well. I am, you know, loved. I am powerful. I am strong. I am beautiful. And I thought to myself, oh my soul, this is the church of me. 
And I am enough. And listen, to the person who's been told their entire life, you'll never amount to hill of beans, you're worthless, you're no good, you're terrible, you're awful. The thought of I am accepted and I am enough is very pleasing. Because for the first time in my life, I feel validated in myself. But for anybody who knows the first thing about the Bible, you'll realize really quickly, I am not enough. I fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeketh after God. They're all gone their own way. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. I am worthless. I am a worm. I am a wretch. I am like Paul. I am the chief of sinners. I know in me that is in my flesh. Well, no good thing. I am enough? Enough what? I'm enough to split hell wide open. That's what I'm enough for. Outside of that, I'm of no use whatsoever. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that we are unprofitable to God. Enough for what? And you look at stuff like that and people are reposting it and liking that. This is exactly what I needed today. Praise God for this truth. That's not truth. And let me just tell you this. These false teachers will stand before God one day and give an account for that garbage that they pump out to the internet. That's what this verse means. They'll be held to a higher level of accountability and a higher level of judgment. Paul said this in Acts chapter 20, verse number 29. For, for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things and draw away disciples after them. It's very popular amongst pastors to create their own platform so that it's about me and my brand. And these pastors are creating a brand around themselves and a platform around themselves. I don't want to be platformed. I want Jesus to be platformed. And Paul says that after I leave, he's talking to a group of pastors at Ephesus, after I leave, wolves are going to come in and there's going to be men that are going to rise up even amongst you that are drawing disciples after themselves. And we say, hey, Paul, that's still going on, man. 2,000 years later, we've still got people that are wolves that are drawing people away unto themselves. And so what? It's the responsibility of the church to recognize, train, and affirm Bible teachers in the church. It's our job as the church to raise up men and women out of this church to preach and teach the Bible. It's our job to make sure that ladies that are involved in children's ministry, ladies that are involved in our ladies' ministry, ladies that are involved in discipleship ministry are prepared to teach the Bible. It's our job to, to recognize that. If a man or woman decides they want to go and serve as a missionary somewhere, it's our job as the church to train them, prepare them, and affirm them. You see, the very first missionary journey that ever took place in Acts chapter 13, the church at Antioch sent out Paul and Barnabas from their midst. You know what they did before they sent them out? They listened to the Holy Spirit, they prayed, they fasted, they laid hands on Paul and Barnabas and then sent them out from the church at Antioch. They recognized, they prepared, they trained, and then they sent them away. Oftentimes people say, oh, I feel like God's called me to be a missionary to China. You, you might be affirmed in that, but the Lord needs to affirm the other church leadership in your life that that's the case as well. Because the worst thing that can happen is you get out somewhere and you're not prepared for what faces you. 
Bible also tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 22, Paul tells Timothy, lay hands suddenly on no man, neither be partaker of other men's sins, and keep thyself pure. That phrase, lay hands suddenly on, on no man, means give people some time, watch them, and make sure that their life backs up what they say they believe. Here at Huicala, we're, according to our church constitution and bylaws, we're not allowed to nominate a deacon in our church unless they've been at our church for more than 12 months. You know why? Because there can't just some guy shows up and in 90 days talks a really good talk and we just, hey, this guy should totally be a deacon. He, this guy knows his stuff. And boom. Put someone in a position of leadership that's not prepared. So for us, it's the job of the church to recognize those in the church that teach well, or those that have the spiritual gift of teaching, those who are well prepared to teach and preach the word, and then to prepare them for what comes next. Next, false teaching should be recognized and rebuked. Somebody asked you one time, Pastor, why are you always talking about false teaching? Because there's one true gospel. And if you mess that up, people go to hell. I don't think there's anything that's more important in the world. So when you hear someone preaching a false gospel, we need to ring a bell and say, hey guys, this is not the gospel. These people are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. These people are wolves. And here's the crazy part. You used to say, oh, so-and-so, they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. Crazy thing is now, wolves that I see now just looks like straight-up wolves. It's the fascinating thing to me is that these people aren't even pretending to be Christian anymore. They're just completely and totally carnal. And people look at this and go, wow, what a great man of God. Based on what? But this should not be shocking when we live in a society today that is biblically illiterate. Who has done away with the word of God as the foundation source for truth. Hey, look, if we're not going to follow the Bible, we can make up any rules that we want to. The uh, Methodist church is in the process of going through a split as a denomination. Basically, the, the Methodists that are hardcore conservative Methodists are, are going one direction, and those that are progressive that want to ordain uh, gay clergy and things like that are going a more progressive direction. They're splitting. But it's, all you have to do is you have to look back at history and realize that the Methodist church in the late 60s and early 70s began to ordain female clergy. Even the ones that are, quote, hardcore conservative, that are staying with the, the denomination on the conservative side, they began to ordain female pastors and female clergy back in the 60s and 70s. Why? Because they left the Bible as their sole authority. And once you do that, it's just a natural progression for what comes next. Hey, look, if we're not going to follow the Bible as the source of truth, and we're not going to follow the Bible anymore, we can elect a monkey as our next pastor here if we want to. That would be fun, wouldn't it? Can you imagine the crowd that we get if we had a chimpanzee for a pastor? Like, well, what's stopping us if the Bible isn't our source of truth anymore? Absolutely nothing. Why don't we make up one of the kids in our super church the pastor if there's no rules anymore? Why do we even need a pastor? Maybe we'll just all come up and share a verse that means something to us every week. And we don't even need a pastor anymore. We'll just all kind of get together and collectively pastor our city. That would be great, wouldn't it? Hey, if the Bible's not our guide anymore, we can do whatever we want. 
So we as a church are required to recognize and call out false teaching when we see it. Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 3, if any man teach otherwise the true gospel, other than the true gospel, consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strife of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil, surmisings, perverse disputings of men, corrupt minds, destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness. From such, withdraw thyself. Hey, Timothy, there's going to be some people who have left the true gospel, and you need to get away from those folks. They're full of pride. They don't know nothing about nothing, and they believe that gain, material possessions, equals godliness. Hmm, that sounds strangely familiar to the world that we live in today, doesn't it? You know why? Because sinners don't change. The sin that was in the church back in Paul's day is the same sin that's in the, quote, church today. And Paul tells, t tells Timothy, get away from those folks. There's a, my daughter and I'm Akili. Maybe I, as a parent, you realize you, sometimes you talk about things too much when your kids actually bring stuff up on their own. You know what I'm talking about? Like uh, when you hear your kids begin to parrot some of the things that you say, uh, it makes you feel bad about the things that you say. We were, we were driving past a, a false church that happens to be up the street here on Queen Street on the right. Uh, once you pass the FedEx Kinko's on the right-hand side. Um, I won't mention the name of the church because I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, but we were passing by there, and there's about six cop cars that were parked out front. And McKinley goes, oh, somebody called the cops for false teaching. And I was like, <laughs> oh, snaps. And then uh, I realized that I probably talk way too much. Uh, but, but the idea was this. And I thought to myself, and so again, uh, now she said that it was funny, but now I have this deep introspective conversation with myself that, do I make too big of a deal about false teaching? Should I just, you know, love everybody and preach the Bible and stuff like that? Or should our church know how to be a discerning Christian? Should we know, hey, just because this is a good church and a lot of people go there uh, and it appears to be good on the outside, this, maybe this isn't a true Bible preaching church? And if that's the case, what are the criteria? Uh, the Azakar family, who, uh, are, this was our last Sunday with us here today, Stephen Kimberly. Stephen Kimberly both got saved, baptized, discipled, premarital counseling, and married here at Huikala. This is kind of all they know about church, and they're leaving to go to San Antonio, Texas. I hope, based on the last two years that they've been here, that they know what they're looking for and what they're not looking for. I want you to be a discerning Christian that should you have to go on vacation or move to another city, you don't have to call back the pastor to vet every church. You can mark some off automatically. Somebody had uh, sent me uh, a list of churches in uh, Alaska, the city that they were in in Alaska. Said, hey, could you find us a good church here? We haven't had any luck. And so for me, I always try to start with Baptist churches because, again, uh, whatever's on the label should mean something, should uh, for example, but it doesn't always. And so I started off the Baptist churches and so, hey, first Baptist church of, you know, whatever Alaska it was, I looked at. Go to their homepage, boom, very first thing I see is a rainbow flag and underneath that, Black Lives Matter. And I was like, I I'm just going to stop right there. And you say, well, you, you, don't, you don't love everybody and you don't believe that life. No. If your first statement that you have before I can ever even scroll down is a political anti-gospel statement, I got nothing else for you. I really don't. And again, let me help you with this. If you don't know why those two things are anti-gospel, please see me, and I want to lovingly show you from the Bible why those things are anti-gospel. And so I, I want to help you to be discerning Christians. 
so that I don't have to hold your hand through everything. So that if somebody says, hey, my coworker goes to this church, is it a good church? You should automatically know whether or not it's a good church based on your understanding of Scripture and understanding of good Bible doctrine. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse number 1, but there are false prophets also among the people, even as there are false teachers among you, who shall privily bring damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. Privily bring in damnable heresies. That word privily means privately. They're going to sneak stuff under the radar. They're going to say, hey, we all believe in the same God, right? We're, we're all on the same page. We all love Jesus, don't we? Hey, raise a fist tonight. If you love Jesus, put your hands in the air. <laughs> what? What? And look, I'm so contrarian, I guess my wife would say. If you tell me to put my hands in the air if I love Jesus, I'm specifically not going to put my hands in the air because I don't have to prove to you that I love Jesus by putting my hands in the air, right? Just tell me that rubs me the wrong way. But here's the thing. I'm not going to put my hands in the air with a bunch of people that I don't even know if you're Christians or not. Because Peter says they're bringing in these damnable heresies under the radar. And you might not even know it. And just know it's coming into Bible-preaching churches in America today under the guise of uh, political correctness, under the guise of social justice, and everything else that's sneaking under the radar into churches and infiltrating them. Peter says, beware of that stuff. Don't have any part of it whatsoever. Well, why does, should the church get involved in all of this? Isn't that uh, the job of individual Christians? And if other people are going to do other stuff, isn't that on them? The Bible says that the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. That means we're the keepers and protectors of the truth. That I'm going to stand for God's word. And if you try to go against it, I'm against you. Now, these people are not our enemies. We're not trying to pick a fight with them. We're not trying to find a way to argue. We're not going to go to work tomorrow and, and stare people down because they go to a different church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you go against the gospel, you are an enemy of the truth. And look, we are protectors of the truth. We stand upon the word of God. It's been tried to be corrupted for the last 2,000 years. People have tried to get rid of it for the last 2,000 years, but the church will not let go of the word of God. You take a look at church history. That's why uh, the book Outsiders that I recommended to you, $5. It'll be the best investment you've ever made in your Christian walk ever. I promise you that. Tells the story of men and women who gave their lives for what? For the Bible. They, that you either turn over your copy of the Bible to the Catholic Church or you'll be drowned in the river. And they said, we'd rather be drowned in the river than to live our life without the Word of God. That's the church. That's what we do. We stand for the Word of God. And anyone who stands against it should get out of the way. Because the church is obligated to be the pillar and the ground of truth. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 15. But if I tarry long, thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So it's our job to stand for the Bible, what it says. And so... The best way in the world to know the truth is to study the truth. That's why, again, we don't just have somebody come up on a Sunday night and just share a word that's been on your heart this week. We don't do stuff like that. We might have a time in the past that we've done where we pass around a microphone, give people the opportunity to praise God for something good God did in your life that, this week. That's fine. 
But we don't just like, hey, why don't you share something you think would be an encouragement to our church family and just share something that's on your heart. No, no, no. The Bible says Bible teachers are held to a higher level of accountability. And look, before anybody preaches in this pulpit, and again, you can say what you want to say, I want to take a look at your notes before you stand and preach the word. I want to see what you're going to say. I have friends that pastor, they've been pastor for longer than I have. I generally don't check their notes because I trust them. I've heard a lot of their preaching, but hey, look, any of our men, hey, I want to know what you're going to be saying. I want to know what you're going to be teaching. Uh, I take it very, very seriously when someone stands behind this pulpit and opens the word that they're going to be telling you the truth. It's a big deal because the church is the protector and the keeper of all truth. Final thought here tonight, to teach or preach God's word is one of the most holy acts one can undertake. Do it with reverence. If you get a chance to be with our two and three-year-olds on a Sunday morning, first of all, God bless you. Let me just say that. I couldn't do it. I'm glad that you can. But just know this. That's a very, very holy moment for you. It's a big deal. You're not just keeping kids and feeding them goldfish until their parents come pick them up. And here's here's how important children's ministry is. Lest we think that those people up in the front that watch two- and three-year-old kids aren't really that important. The adults that come in this room will make their decisions whether or not they'll come back and sit in this room and hear preaching based on what happens with their kids out there in the lobby while they're sitting in here. For them to drop off their kid who's bawling their eyes out and kicking and screaming, and our, our children's ministry workers deal with that every single Sunday of the world. And for our children's ministry workers to love them and say, it's okay, go in and enjoy the service. I want you to hear preaching. My wife, since the beginning of who we call has been one of the, the hardest working children's ministry workers we got. Every single Wednesday night, with the exception of maybe, maybe six months where she was discipling somebody, and Wednesday night she's always worked the nursery. She's always had it's her ministry. She loves to do it. And she's been watching babies in, in children's ministry for 20 plus years, and she's excellent at it. She's so good. But she says, I wait until the very last second to go get parents. Very last resort because I just want them to be able to hear preaching and teaching. It's that important. Our children's ministry workers don't just go in there and tell the story of Noah and the ark. They think through what they're going to teach these kids. And sometimes my daughter Tallulah, she's four, she comes home one day and she says, Father Abraham had zero sons. Zero sons had Father Abraham. Wait, how many sons did Father Abraham have? Zero. Hmm, Okay. I'll have a talk with your teacher then, and we'll figure that out. (laughs) And then come to find out, it was legitimate that Father Abraham started with zero sons, but afterwards he had many sons. But my daughter only heard the first part that he had zero sons. And so, okay. Uh, but, But again, here's what I love. They're teaching our kids lessons from the Bible. The curriculum that's taught in our children's ministry is approved by the pastor. Is that weird that the pastor approves all the children's ministry curriculum? I don't think so. You know why? Because I'll stand before God and answer for what your kids were taught while they sit in there. Big deal to me. I'll be held to a higher level of accountability, so I want to make sure that I I put a lot of thought and prayer into that. And oftentimes, uh, Miss Buffy, who's one of the best children's ministry workers that God ever created, I believe, will send me an email. Hey, Pastor, I'm looking at this curriculum. Can you look through it and make sure it's okay? Sure. And nine times out of ten, I look through it and go, man, that's great. Every now and then she sends me one, and I was like, uh, I see this, this, and this. I'm not good with that. Just find something else. Great, on it. 
But we don't just try to keep kids alive because we try to teach them the Bible. Why? Because those Bible teachers are held to a higher level of accountability. And so, I want to encourage you with this thought here tonight, and we're done. Same goes for our people in discipleship as well. We don't let somebody go into discipleship as a discipler, a teacher in discipleship, just because they want to. And sometimes uh, people offer to, to disciple, and we don't have uh, the right connection with the, the people, or we have more people sign up that want to disciple than that are being discipled, and sometimes the numbers just don't fit. But there's never been a case where somebody has said, I want to disciple, and I wouldn't allow it. Uh, but every single person who sits across the table from somebody who teaches the Bible have been thoroughly vetted, and I make sure that they're 100% gun barrel straight on their Bible doctrine because they're going to be held to a higher ca- standard of accountability. It's a big deal. We don't just partner people up because we got somebody free. I was talking to a pastor a couple of years ago who pastored a non-denominational church uh, here in town. And he was like, oh, yeah, we're getting ready to launch uh, 10 new small groups at the beginning of the year. Wow, 10 small groups. He goes, yeah, that'll bring us up to about 35 small groups. Wow. I mean, you don't mind me asking, like, how big is your church that you need 35 small groups? He's like, oh, we've got about 110 people in our church. That's like three people per small group. I know, but I want a lot of leaders in our church. What? And then I said, how do you vet 35? That's a third of your church. How do you vet a third of your church is ready and prepared to teach the word to these people? Oh, man, if, well, if they're no good at it, they're, they're, their small group will pick up and leave and go somewhere else. <laughs> so you just let them fail? Yeah, they'll wash out on their own. <laughs> do you know what the Bible says about that? Like, no, that's not how this works. You don't get to just try it out and see if you like it or not. You're held to a higher standard. So what does that mean for you that are here tonight? And we're done. Get yourself ready to preach and teach the word. Get yourself ready. Any man in this church that's been attending here for more than three years, I should be able to say, hey, I need you to preach Sunday after next. Put a message together for me. You should be ready. Well, I don't know that I'm ready yet. Then get ready. It doesn't mean that you have to preach or teach. It means that you're prepared. You know your stuff. You could sit down with the Word of God and the Spirit of God and put something together that would be helpful. You know what's funny is that when the Holy Spirit and the Word of God get involved, you'll be shocked at what they can do without you. Right? Again, our our men's gathering groups we have here on on, uh, Saturday morning sometimes, some of our guys will come in and they're like, oh, put something together. It's probably going to take me like four or five minutes. I don't think. And like 55 minutes later, they're still talking. It's like, hey, you guys got to get out of here, right? Like, why? Because it wasn't them. It was the Spirit of God with the Word of God that made the difference. And again, it still blows my mind that people are like, oh, pastor, that was a great message. It's all from the Bible. And again, if we could get a monkey to talk, a monkey could say the Bible and it'd be good, right? Because it's the Word of God and it's the Spirit of God at work. And I just want to be a conduit that the Word of God and the Spirit of God flows through to other people. And if you're here tonight and you have children, first of all, you're a teacher to your children. And again, I put some resources on the back table in our bookstore area that will help you teach children. If you're a husband to a, a wife, you're a teacher of your wife. Get ready to know the Word and explain the Word. Be the resident theologian for your home. If you're a a woman, you should be a woman of God that can teach the Bible to other women and ladies in our church and make connections with them and to be used of God to teach the Bible. And for for those of us that are married, we should feed off of one another. My wife should encourage me in the Word and I should encourage her in the Word. 
because the Bible is the central part of all this. Now, James later is going to get uh, into our speech and the things we say to each other and the, the hurtful words sometimes that we have and how crazy our words are, how we can't control ourselves. But he starts all this off with this. Hey, if you're going to speak and teach on behalf of God, know that this, you better be ready and you're going to be held to a higher level of accountability. And here's the great thing about that. When you pray and seek God and prepare and spend time in the Word, you don't have a problem being accountable. I love it. Man, I'm just saying what the Bible says. I, I stand behind that 100%. And again, we've had people before who believe, do you really believe what you just said this morning? With every fiber of my being, I believe, because it's in the Word of God. And so this is worth building your life on it, build your life on it. For somebody here tonight that doesn't know for sure that you're saved, Bible doctrine is so important because it leads people away from, false doctrine leads people away from the true gospel, but you need to find the true gospel in Jesus Christ. Jesus died for sinners to save you from your sin, and he's the only hope that you have. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.